Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Adulting. Today, I am joined by Africa Brooke. Hello. And we are going to be talking about sobriety, sexuality, and feminism. Yes. So I think we'll dive straight in okay. um, and start with sobriety because I'm currently doing dry January. Yeah. Which I'm actually really enjoying. Yeah. Um, but prior to having done, I did sober October, but before that, I don't think I'd ever had like a prolonged stretch of not yeah. drinking. And especially in the UK, it's kind of hard to avoid. Yeah. What can you tell me about your sobriety journey? How you've yeah. ended up here? So mine kind of wasn't trying dry Jan or sober October or anything like that. I was actually forced to get sober because of the way that I was drinking. So I was a blackout drinker for nearly a decade. I started drinking when I was 14. Wow. And from the very first time that I drank, it was to get drunk. There was, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't because I was hanging out with friends and it was, the intention was to get drunk, but then that created a pattern for how I drank for a decade. Um, and I thought everyone blacked out. I thought that was common. I thought it was just a part of drinking. And in the beginning, it was fun as it always starts. It's always fun in the beginning, but then you get older and then the situations you put yourself in start to get even more dangerous. More you start to, exactly, you start to lose people. There is more to lose jobs I've lost so many jobs um, I've lost friends I've lost partners my family it came to a point where they wanted to move themselves from me um, so I was forced I was forced to get sober I tried to moderate but it just never worked I was never like a one drink sort of person I once I had one I just couldn't stop how often were you going out drinking uh, not that often I was also not a uh, solo drinker So it was very hard to identify that there was an issue because I was a social drinker. And what tends to happen is that we keep people around us that make it easier to carry on with this way of living. And it's normalized because when you're in your teens or early 20s, people tell you that it's a rite of passage. Right. Right. And um, yeah, so it was was very difficult. uh, But I was a social drinker. It's really scary hearing you say this because... I don't think I sound that far away from this, to be honest. Like, when yeah. I go out, especially on New Year's Eve, I actually woke up with the worst anxiety because I couldn't remember mm. between, like, three and four. And my sister always tells me off when I get really drunk and she was there. And she yeah. didn't say anything to me. So I was like, I can't have done anything or said anything that bad because yeah. I haven't been told off. But that really freaked me out. Yeah. And I actually, I think at school, I used to get really drunk. I had my stomach pump when I was 14 at a party really? that my parents were at. <gasps> awful yeah so I was always getting in trouble with alcohol and then as I got older and I went to uni I did teach myself mm-hmm. to not get I got scared basically of getting drunk so yeah. I would go out and get drunk but I wouldn't ever let myself get to the point where I was out of control drunk mm. and then when I've moved to London now I think I've got back into 
being very relaxed with alcohol to the yeah. point where I, before I know it, go from zero to hundred and I'm like, shit, I don't yeah. want to be this drunk. Whereas like my boyfriend loves being drunk. I don't like the feeling. not knowing. The yeah. minute if I suddenly become aware that I'm very drunk, it really, I don't like it. Yeah. And it's really funny because that is problematic. But as you say, it's also so normal. 100%. 100%. I think you're made to feel more abnormal if you're not drunk. For sure. Or if you're not drinking. Either people think you're pregnant or there's something wrong with you or they they think you're just not being fun because that's a big thing for everyone. No one wants their fun to be disrupted, even if it's at the expense of your mental well-being. Yeah. Um, so it's very normalized. It's very difficult. And I think depending on what kind of industry you even work in, mm. alcohol is the social lubricant. Yes. You know, it's the way most people have sex for the first time. It's the first thing that someone says when they want to get to know you better. Do you want to go for a drink? It's, um, yeah, it's been so normalized. And I think I always say that if heroin had the same marketing and mm. PR as alcohol, we would normalize that as well. Well, my boyfriend actually said this to me the other day because mm. we were having the conversation about decriminalizing drugs. We both yeah. think that's something that should happen yes. and yes. like in the movement towards like fighting drug culture. Some of the Scandinavian countries got it really good. Yeah. And then he said, but you know that, and I was like, what about making it legal? He was like, no. Even if, if alcohol was created today, it would be illegal. And I was like, you're so right. Yeah. Of course it would be. Of course. But we don't look at it like that. And you're completely right about saying, I've got a really good girlfriend who never really drinks. Mm. And I used to literally be like, why won't you drink? I'd almost force, it would make yeah. me feel so annoyed that she wouldn't drink with me. And me I remember apologising to her like two years ago, being like, I'm so sorry wow. that I used to get annoyed at you. That's completely your prerogative. Yeah. Because I, as you say, I would assimilate friends around me. I wouldn't even speak to her unless I was going out. And yeah. I would call on them to let me have my reckless behavior yes what kind of situations <laughs> were you getting into can oh you my goodness that? yeah of course I can um the reason why I'm also really comfortable with kind of discussing the lengths that I got to is because I just need people to know that some of the things we've come to just accept it's really not the way maybe you even want to live but um an example that I always talk about is when I went to lunch with a friend um, I think it was a Monday. We went to lunch. It was just like a normal, um, supposed to be a normal lunch. Uh, I hadn't drunk for a month because towards the end, I knew that if I have this one drink, I'm going to go off. I knew that something would happen. But this one time, I was like, yes, it's the afternoon. It's a Monday. Nothing is going to happen. Yeah. But um, I blacked out and I lost about 12 to 15 hours. And I woke up in Surrey the following day, late afternoon, with these two guys. Apparently, I'd had sex with one of them. I had no idea how I'd got there. And my phone was dead. And I remember charging my phone. They Somehow, they ended up getting me a taxi back home, uh, all the way back to London from oh Surrey. Um, I plugged my phone in, my phone charged. And I had all these angry texts from my friend. Apparently, I'd ended up getting drunk. I started speaking to these guys at the next table, um, ended up leaving her and went with them. Don't remember any of that. And the, um, I think the most shocking thing that kind of gives me chills when I talk about this, these patterns weren't new. These yeah. patterns weren't new. It was just a different story, a different location, a different person. But those patterns weren't new. And because from the first time that I drank, I truly believed that everyone blacked out. 
it didn't even scare me that oh I God. lost 15 hours and I carried on for two more years That's after that. a <laughs> massive stretch of time. Yeah. I have periods where it would be normally the last hour of the night. Yeah. I, I remember coming in the door, but I can't really remember how I got back. Yeah. It's a bit bloggy, foggy, rather. Yeah. But you're saying you literally nothing. Yeah, because for a decade, I have been training my brain to be this way. So I've been... I knew no other way. Just I, I couldn't have a glass of wine, just one. It felt like torture if I had one drink. Because you wanted more? Yeah. You think it was an escape for you? Was there any... Of think, course. But of is, course. It, is it the same as alcoholism or is it it's not an, is it an addiction to the alcohol or is it just a you you don't do that well with drinking did you know it was alcoholism for sure um I think what I was addicted to was altering my reality mm. because I felt that I wasn't enough in a normal state from a very young age from around those times 14 um I started to become aware of my blackness for example I started to become more aware of the fact that other people didn't find me as attractive um, as my white counterparts because I was I went to school in Kent at the time. And um, so I had a very, very low self-esteem mm. and I was having somewhat of an identity crisis as a Zimbabwean girl that's come to Britain and then suddenly being so aware of my skin and, you know, people telling me that I have big lips. Um, just just all this kind of external things that I had to take on. So when I discovered alcohol for the first time, I could just make it all stop. I could just yeah. make it all go away. So it became I became addicted to what it could do, if that makes sense. No, complete sense. Yeah. And I think that's that's what it is for most people. It's what it can do for you and how kind of instantaneous that is. I think it's why we're addicted to social media. Yeah. I think it's exactly the same yeah. thing. It's an escapism, it's yeah. immediate. You can make yourself look cooler, feel cooler, posting an image, yeah. you get instant gratification. I think going out, clubbing, attention, all of those things are very much of a similar vein. Yeah. You're talking about being at school in Kent. Did you have any black friends? Was it like, was it a very white school? Did your parents talk very to you about white. race much or no. like? No. Um, I'll start with kind of home life. We didn't talk about race at all. And I think that's mainly because I'm from Zimbabwe. And uh, Zimbabwe was colonized by Britain. Yeah. So there are, I think it can either go two ways. Because of the history, you can either grow up in a home that teaches you everything about the history and lets you know who you are pre-colonial. Right. Or you can live in a home where those conversations just don't happen. And there's this idea of Britain being the promised land. Mm. So certain things just don't happen. You kind of just have to deal with it for yourself. And I grew up in that kind of home, the latter. So no conversations about race. I became aware of my race, like I said, when I started school, when I was nine years old. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of things to deal with. I, Apart from my sister and maybe one other kid in the entire school were the only black people mm. in the entire school so that was that was very difficult especially when you don't know how to, how to kind of articulate your experience yeah um, and when you're so young you don't have the language for what's going on you just know that there is something happening there's some kind of inside joke and you have no idea what it is and that was also an era where being colorblind was kind mm -hmm. of the the, the progressive way of looking yeah. at things we can't see color we can't see race which as we know yeah. now and I've learned and I'm learning through people like Rani Odu Lodge and, yeah. and amazing writers that actually we need to be talking about race yeah. seeing it accepting it and and realizing our differences and our assimilation and yeah. whatever else 
but like for 100% when I was at school, like there would probably five black people in my year maybe mm -hmm. and we would never talk about if you said like oh so and so's black everyone would be like you can't say that mm -hmm. which is just so redundant and stupid <laughs> because as you say people would also be making jokes about the size of a girl's lips yeah. or their bum or their hair yeah. and I can remember these like microaggressions yeah. and like children not knowing because we're all picking children are always like I got the piss taken out of me for certain things but obviously when it's got a racial side to it mm. you might not understand the impact of that as a child, even though I yeah. think kids are mean in general. Of course. But as you say, if you feel like ostracized and you're, you don't have anyone to talk to about yeah. that, I can't imagine yeah. what that feels like. Exactly. And I think it also, around that time as well, when I was 14, of course, color blindness was probably a thing, but I think overt racism was oh, more yeah. common. For sure. Than kind of people saying, you can't say that. It was, you can say whatever the fuck you want and that's just that's just how it is did you find that did you have that in school or did you have that outside or both in school in school really? mainly I, I never really had it outside I never really had it outside but I was so young that when I finish school I'm going home you know there's it's yeah. not like I was going out and all of yeah. these things when I started drinking it was with people from school but that would be more like at the local park sort of thing but then you go home yeah and then I would experience those things again but I think they started to take a form when I saw that the other girls were more desired mm. you know and then if we were going to the park to have a drink I would see that I'm not kind of getting the same attention but I now I know why that's happening it's mm. because I'm black yeah you know so you just become that friend that person but um I still saw that in those times regardless of whether uh I was being desired or not. What I could hold on to was once I have a drink, I can still be so confident that it doesn't matter, mm. you know. So when you start to train yourself to rely on something to make you feel worthy, to make you feel desirable, to make you feel beautiful, when you strip it away, you feel the pain that you really have to deal with, that kind of pain that is underneath and just kind of crying out to be looked at. But I was, I was too afraid to look at it. It's the worst thing as a teenage girl. And interestingly, like to, you're so consumed about what you look like. like mm -hmm. That is the main thing. You're fed magazines yeah. that constantly just tell you how to look. And at that time, there were no women of colour on no. the front of magazines. No. And actually, the beautiful model, Adjua Aboa, was two yeah. years above me at school. Yeah. And I never knew that she felt the way that she did. And she yeah. was like, to me, everyone's blonde and they're white. And I didn't see it like that. I didn't no. know that she felt like that. But to us, to me, I looked on at her and thought, she's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. I thought she's yeah. incredible, really fashionable, really cool. You don't understand the depth of that feeling. And I understand it because I hated not fitting in at school. Yeah. But the amount, and every child does, but the amount that you not fit in when you don't realise every single beauty paradigm that you're served as a child is a blonde, mm -hmm. skinny woman who's white. There yeah. is, there was, that was it. Yeah. It was Jennifer Aniston, Cameron Diaz, whoever else. Yeah. They were the women that you had to look like. And whilst I might have felt like I don't look like them because I'm not skinny... To you, you're like, I don't, I'm not any of like, exactly. that woman. None of, I can't even assimilate it's with anything. It's not attainable in any, no. in any degree. So there's already like a link, I guess, to your, yeah. your understanding of your sexual being or your attractiveness, your physical yeah. being. You felt like that wasn't something that you had um, capital in. Yeah. And then how did that change when you're, that you came into that relationship with alcohol, do you think? Yeah. Um, so I really started to see the link of kind of desire, low self-worth, all of these things. I really started to see the link when I was about 17, which is when I started really going out. And when I say going out, I'm talking about kind of parties, 
around that time it was when um i don't know if you remember kind of squat parties and that kind of stuff not sure um so more like raving kind right. of parties where you're now surrounded not just by white people but now you're surrounded by everyone and where were they and in? it's in london right. in london i was living in london at this time um so i moved to london when i was about 15 so a year a year after um everything i was just saying so i started partying and then i was kind of really in the multicultural scene of london mm. where i saw that i was desired by people but by this time i felt that i could only access that if i was drinking or if i was drunk or if i was taking drugs because at that time i started experimenting with drugs as well um but things only got worse for me in the sense that i started having a lot of disconnected casual sex casual sex was my way of kind of even just showing someone that i liked them mm. i thought that's all that i had to offer and um it my drinking got worse at that time 18 is when it started getting really bad the blackout started getting worse and because i had this perceived freedom i was overage i had been working so i had money i could do whatever i wanted mm. to do which meant that everything just kind of got progressively worse um and when i was 22 i got into a relationship which i was in for 3 years we met when i was still drinking but then i got sober in the middle of our relationship when i was 24 and that changed everything completely because everything that i had been kind of putting in a box and pretending is not there really came to the surface mm. and right there at the top was the sexual shame that i'd been holding um all these insecurities all these ideas that i had taken on from other people and um my religious conditioning as well and by that i mean the kind of teachings that pretty much slut shame and tell yes. you that if you do this you will burn in hell good girls don't do this um this idea that your body belongs to a man i mean it's it's never really said too explicitly but it's said in in yeah. many ways that you should save yourself all this kind of language um also came to the surface and during that time i really really just had to I really had to go deep and realize that if I drink again so I can feel better quote unquote I I could lose my life because that's how bad it had got at that time. Wow. Yeah. So many things I want to unpick from that. Yeah. So the first thing I guess I want to ask was mm-hmm. when you were going out with your friends I know you kind of said this earlier but were you yeah. seen as the fun time girl? Do you think any of your girlfriends yeah. or guy friends were looking in on you and worried about it? Yeah, I was definitely the fun time girl. I was the kind of girl that if you want to party you can just call Africa because she doesn't call it at night at any point right. she can go and go and go i never wanted the party to end because no. if it night. ends then i have to deal with my shit and yeah. i didn't want to do that so i would hang on to the people that also like to party but then there's always a time where people are like okay we've had enough yeah. but it was never it was never, never enough. enough for me um so everyone that i had around me also wanted to party they were also running away from something right so it was very easy to disguise this but then i became really close to um i i became really close to this girl who was my best friend for a very long time and she saw through all of that and she would in the beginning she also kind of really liked this persona this thing that people loved but because we were so close she could see when the party had to stop and i would kind of you know yeah. go back into that hole 
Um, and she tried to tell me, she tried to talk to me kind of just really lightly and tell me that she's worried and have I ever thought about trying not drinking for like a month or, you know, but I wouldn't listen because I think if you haven't accepted something for yourself, people can tell you how worried they are. At the end of the day and you won't do anything. Nothing will happen. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah. I've been there with like abusive boyfriends and yeah. my girlfriends have told me for months and it wasn't mm -mm. until I was ready there we go. that you won't change. But it's so nice to know that there are people who can see it yeah. and that are there, but it can be difficult if you're the friend as well. Um, yeah. And the other thing that you said, because I've spoken about this in my podcast with Charlie Cox and I mm -hmm. think it's more common than we realise, but that idea of kind of giving your body to men, especially yeah. when you're in your teens, as one, like a seal of approval, like, yes. oh, if they want to have sex with me, I am... Um, attractive I'm good enough yeah. I'm worthy while simultaneously having that same message of slut shaming yeah and also the idea that when you are having casual sex with these guys they're looking at you as a throwaway mm -hmm. thing but in your head it was such validation it was like I must be attractive if they yes. want to have sex with me I must be yeah. pretty much all of my girlfriends up until our 20s were not a part of a helpful sexual encounter yeah. They weren't necessarily helpful. They were probably consensual, but they were also very misguided. And mm -hmm. they were misguided because of this layer of slut shaming that our generation was brought up yeah. with. So no one taught girls about sex, but we're also no. taught that the most important thing you could be is have sexual capital and be sexually desired yeah. at the same time as not having sex. Like, what? How are we supposed it's to so navigate confusing. that? It's so confusing. And I think because... That's why now in the present day, I feel so strongly about having really candid conversations about sex, about mm. sober living, just about the things that really, really happen, but we don't speak about. Yeah. Because there are, I, th I think there are so many people that blame themselves for things that have happened to them, even abuse. A lot yes. of people blame themselves because they just don't know. Because there's this idea that you're either the good girl or you're the bad girl. Like, there's no middle ground. There is no room for you to be a multi-layered human being. There's just no room. And I think we also kind of have taken in so much messaging that says, your body does not belong to you. Mm. But you should still do enough to be desirable. But once that desire takes action, if that action is sex, it does not belong to you. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very, very confusing thing. And if you throw drugs and alcohol into the mix, which is what a lot of people end up doing, just to feel something yeah. or to feel connected to that yeah. situation, it's... it's Yeah, it's a really tricky yeah. one. And I think the way that we... The la even when you're taught to have sex when you're like about sex when you're younger mm -hmm. it's only from the male perspective yes. masturbation is only talked about when it comes to men I didn't even there's so many things I read now and they really make you feel a bit sick like the yeah. sunflowers always sharing stuff like they tell you the first time it's going to hurt because they don't tell guys how to have sex like, yeah. sex wasn't fun it wasn't good Gosh. when I was younger when you first had sex like I didn't I wasn't ever there like oh my god this is amazing I was like well, I've got to do this now. Exactly. And I think even in that conversation, another thing I find very important to address is painful sex. Like I have this massive fascination with it because I think it's what a lot of people are having because of that idea of, okay, when you lose your virginity, it's going to hurt. Yeah. But what if people knew that losing your virginity is not supposed to hurt? No. Because penetration should not be the focus. Because we... Because in schools, they don't teach these things because they would be teaching pleasure. Yes. So they teach us that it begins right. with penetration. And what happens then? It's painful because your body is not actually ready no. to be receiving anything. But we're kind of taught that once there's an erection, you're ready. But also we're taught that 
it's going to be pleasurable for the guy yeah. and painful for the woman basically saying men can enjoy the sex yeah. but you can't yeah. but you've still got to be there for it and enjoy it because yeah. men can't control their yeah. I mean sexual liberation comes up a lot and people talk about it now but I just can't believe that there's still this rhetoric going you know when people talk about rape culture or whatever men, mm-hmm. men are like oh but men just can't control themselves as if women have oh. no sexual desire <laughs> and that men I'm sorry out of most guys that I know it's the men that suffer with sexual yeah. desire out of all yeah. my girlfriends who are in long-term relationships, they will always say their sex drive's higher than their boyfriends. And why is that something that we've... I mean, I know culturally why. I know that we went through things like in the Victorian times and, like, how we've got here. But it's still just not spoken about. Yeah. And I think it's something that really does permeate our society. And, you know, we we can talk about how advanced everything is. I mean, we have microwaves that speak to people and fridges, (laughs) you know, that open five minutes before you get home but there are so many things embedded in our society the most basic things that we just refuse to talk about because it really does change the whole structure I mean even women or female sexuality now is really disrupting the structure Mm. of how things should be yes you know and I think it's a very scary time for a lot of people but we need to start just by having the uncomfortable conversations we need to start talking about painful sex we need to start talking about premature penetration everyone knows what premature ejaculation is because it's about keeping the erection up Mm. but no one talks about what's on the other side of that erection yeah painful sex for a woman and femme yeah and it's um yeah it's a it's a very very difficult thing because it would be teaching pleasure and i think a lot of systems in place and organizations just have a problem talking about pleasure but it's so weird because one of the most lovely things you can do mm. is have amazing sex yeah it's free it's like a hug it's just love it's so nice yeah it's the shame it's the you talked about religion briefly and my mum's from a catholic family and without realizing she fed so many little lines mm. to me with catholic shame threaded into it it's only now that i'm older obviously i have no idea about that as a kid yeah. i just knew that some of my friends could talk to their parents about sex and those girls probably had very normal relationships. Whereas I had a very big fear of sex, but also fascinated by it, but mm. also didn't know. And a lot of those rhetorics, a lot of us are second generation. Like my mum's my mom's parents from Ireland. And, like your, and a lot of those people that come from different religious backgrounds, yeah. you are still not that far away from having a slightly skewed understanding mm-hmm. of things. Of course. And even if you think your parents are more liberal or your parents have been westernised or whatever... There's still so much it in there imbued, in even, and it that's almost worse because it's not obvious. Yeah. So you're kind of like, why do I feel this way about stuff? And it'll come up, and I'll be like, oh, that's my Catholic shame <laughs> about really weird things. And I'm like, that's what it is. It's What's funny. one of the things? I can't even think. I don't even know. Like even just watching sometimes, like watching sex scenes, they come up on TV. Oh my god! Yeah. In front of other people, and I'm just like, oh my god, this is really. Yeah. Bad. Do you know? I have. I've got rid of it so much. Like even talking about this. This is probably the second time I've spoken so candidly on the podcast about sex. Yeah. Um, but I don't even think I would talk to my girlfriends really about my sexual pleasure. Yeah. I would tell them about what the guy was like, whatever. It was never about me. Yeah. So I'm overcome. I'm even going a little bit red now. But I think it's so important to talk about <laughs> I it. I love it. But I was saying how earlier, like my mum, I remember 
actually one of the other PTs in the, in the gym that I work at, she was talking about how her mum didn't like some actress in the 90s. And I was like, I don't think my mum liked her. We were going through one. I was like, oh, I think it's because they were portraying like sexually liberated women. Yeah. And my mum probably was like, this is awful. Yeah. I'm really affronted by it because she'd been taught you can't be like that. Yeah. And then now it's come out the other side and she like loves it. And when I used to post those bums healthies on Instagram, she's like, <laughs> I love it. I love it. And like that. she's learned and it goes around in circles. Yeah. It's really nice. Sorry, yeah, I just completely... No, 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 I, I really like that because I think it just shows that it's a process of unlearning for everyone oh, yeah. because it's so deep. Because you can think you're the most empowered and liberated, but then just something small happens and you're like, yeah. where did that come from? Um, because I was actually writing today about, um, even with all the work that I do and the journey that I've been on with my sexual exploration... I still have a psychological block when it comes to penetrating myself and self-pleasure. And that's because of this idea. And I know that it's very much connected to religion. Yes. Because of that idea that you don't touch yourself in that way. No. That good girls don't do those kinds of things. And I'm more than happy to explore so many other areas of my body. But when it comes to that part of my body, it's because of that other belief that I'm trying to unravel of your body belongs to a man that you can do all the outer core stuff but that part the most sacred part or what you feel is the most sacred part of you is not yours and even though I I'm a very very sexually liberated woman but that psychological block and that conditioning really just stops me the kind of cognitive dissonance is astounding I I think 100% agree I I don't even think I talked about female pleasure until like the last year yeah like I didn't know no one was talking about it and I completely agree I feel a deep sense of shame and you're thinking I'm alone I'm on my own this is my body I could literally take this anywhere with me yeah no one is here and I'm like embarrassed yeah I'm like what am I embarrassed with no one is gonna know like it's so it's so deep it's so deep and the other side of it is as well that like I don't want to say poor man but like I know that a lot of my guy friends who when we were younger mm-hmm. also have the same upbringing so they mm. completely don't understand so when they come to these conversations which sometimes get a bit heated or we as women mm. who are trying to bring up these things get quite defensive about the way mm-hmm. that we've been treated by men and then they'll get hurt because they're saying but we didn't mean to they have to unlearn That's it too, all mm-hmm. but with compassion because I do get that yes. sometimes obviously we've got some awful people out there but I do think a lot of the guys in my generation genuinely just didn't know any better yeah. and they actually, they've also got now residual guilt from yeah. realising mistakes that they made yeah. because they weren't taught about yeah. female pleasure either so that that sometimes can be a bit of a balancing act yeah I absolutely agree with that because you know if if we're talking about the conditioning that's happened to us and as women we're supposed to be you're supposed to be a good woman for this man that man or boy is being raised a certain way as well that mm. women exist to serve you mm. and that the woman you end up with has to be willing to endure everything you will do yes you know and that's that's kind of um i think that's how society kind of shapes everything that's the overarching idea women are supposed to endure and then the man is just supposed to be a man. Yes. Whatever that, like, there's so many things what that can mean, but a woman enduring, it can be sex. It can be whether you're cheated on. It can be financially, whatever it is. Mm. We're supposed to kind of just take it because that equals to being a good woman. And I think, I agree. And I think one of the worst, I just literally, as you're talking, I'm thinking mm. of like song lyrics in my head. I'm like, lady <laughs> in the street and a freak in the bed and just all these mm. things that when we were younger were just like, 
commonplace lyrics and we were singing them i knew all the words to all of these songs and you're thinking how of course you're fucked like i can't they're like affirmations yeah because you're constantly hearing it like i can't listen to kanye's song yeah such a fucking because i'm like it makes me feel physically sick i'm like how gold digger and how yeah how are you putting this yeah i know all the words to gold digger yeah how are you putting this music out there because also you don't know that you're Mm -mm. learning but subconsciously as a kid i would memorize any rap song that came on and i wasn't listening to the lyrics but they're playing out in my mind even like dressing for the male gaze is something that (gasps) i've only stopped doing recently like when i want to dress sexually provocative i'm doing it but not for the male gaze and i like will be like wow i've put clothes on that are for me because i spent my whole life being like i love quirky clothes or trendies or like stuff that i was like but my body i can't wear that because of my body i could wear that first really skinny because i need fashion or I'd be like, I'll just wear this. And I used to wear shit that I... I remember this boyfriend, like, you know, much better than that. So for ages, I would just wear, like, white T-shirts and these blue, like, leggings. I yeah. felt like I had to put, make myself yeah. good on his arm kind yeah. of thing. And whereas now with my boyfriend, I'll turn up and I'll just wear whatever I want. Yeah. Because it's nothing to do with him. But that was all... I think that was all imbued in me from, like, song lyrics and, like... Oh, of course. It's so fucked. It, it runs... <laughs> so so deep that's why even looking at the bigger things you know that are more obvious to see I think that's always very useful but I swear it's always the smallest things the smallest decisions you make I mean for me it's um shaving Mm. the fact that I stopped shaving my underarms I think now it's been a year and I swear to you before that you would have never seen me with a hair on my body apart from I had long hair as well (laughs) So I was smoothly shaven everywhere else and I had long hair because that equals desire. Yeah. That's all you see. A hairy woman? What is that? Yeah. You know? And especially as a black woman, it equals being a savage, you know, being from a tribe. I mean, even though I'm from a tribe, it's that whole idea that, you know, you, you don't have anything. You come from the jungle sort of thing. But making that decision to stop shaving which is something that makes me so, so happy because before, how it used to be, if a guy says to me that he's coming over, I'll run and shave. If I know that I'm going to be seeing someone and there's a potential of being intimate, whether it's sexual or just even kissing, I am shaving. The shame that I felt when Mm. the hair on my body would grow and someone would see it was just... And I dressed it up as in... But I just just like it. It's my preference. But is it? No, I I love it. I've actually wanted to do an episode on pubes for like ages. Yeah. So I do shave. Yeah. Um, I actually very rarely shave my legs, but that's laziness. Yeah. Like if I have to, I will. But also they're blonde, so I'm just it's. I'm fully aware it's my conditioning. <laughs> yeah. But I can't quite undo it yet. So exactly. there's loads of things that's that I'm aware well. of. Exactly. Um, and I know why I do shave, but I'm just like I'll I'll get you know I'll get what? to it's it. It's a slow process. Yeah. It's a slow process because it is a very difficult thing. I think whether you like being smooth or not, as long as it's your choice. Yes. And even if you know that it's not really your choice, be gentle with yourself yes. because come on, the billboards are everywhere. Yeah. You know, in the tube station, you'll see a massive advert saying, you know, book that wax yes. in today. But it's it's taught to you that like being clean shaven, clean shaven is clean. And yeah. I remember talking about this because some Instagram, I did a photo where she was wearing underwear and it was lacy. It looked like pubes and all these guys were going mad. So I was just doing stories like, even if it is pubic hair, 
why does it matter? Like, you are broad... It was literally... I think it was Gillette or it was another brand. Yeah. Decided they wanted to make more money yeah. because they were selling razors for men's faces. And then they thought, oh, I know, we can tap into a new market mm. if we start selling them to women. Yeah. And their marketing campaigns yeah, literally doing. said, you'll be cleaner if you shave... If you shave. This is in, like, the 20s or whatever it was. And prior to that, women weren't shaving. Yeah, yeah. But it was because they were like, great, capitalism, obviously. Yeah. It's all down to capitalism. Yeah. But, like, we can make more money. It's happened to a new market, so we'll teach you to shave. And we just think that's the norm. It's not, it's not. the norm. I think it's having, not. like, it stresses me out. Loads of my fans have got Hollywood laser. Yeah. And they've got no hair. And for a time, I was like, maybe I'll do it with my bikini lines. I was in a bikini. But I've always felt like, if I have a child, I want to be able to grow a full fat yeah. bush <laughs> so Yay. that when she's growing up she can be like oh mummy has hair yeah. and not be like why have I got hair like, I, love I always think about how it would impact my daughter yeah. so like surgery like I don't judge anyone that's got it but I always think like that just won't help my daughter yeah. I don't even know if I'll have kids but for some reason yeah. that that's always my first I thought I I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Get that. And um, as for when you were saying the laser, I remember when I was frantically booking appointments, just trying, I was like, okay, I'm just going to get laser done and I'll be happy. I'll never have to shave again. But I don't know what kind of changed for me around that time. Actually, I think it's when the terror revolution had just started and I was doing a lot of digging into who I am as a person, who I'm doing things for. I Because I journal quite a lot, I was actually writing down questions. When you shave, who is it for? Oh, I love and then that. when I write an answer... I go back into it and I'm like, is it really for that reason? And just kind of expand. And then I saw that I wasn't doing it for me. So I stopped. Um, but everyone, not everyone, most people use the whole hygiene rhetoric. Mm. And it's usually men mm. that use that. But I say to them, are you clean shaven? You know, for hygiene reasons. Do you tell the men in your life that they need to shave, you know, for hygiene reasons? If a man shaved, especially, like, around the... I, I would just be like, ugh, yeah. why have you done this? And the, and the thing is, I had to think about that as well because I was I was thinking of how if a man was to shave, people would find that very odd. And yeah. a lot of people attach that to sexuality. They'll say, okay, he must be gay if he's yes. shaved. There's this idea that a, a man, a heterosexual... There we go. Yeah. And it's just, it's really, really weird. I think the really good thing was shaving, which is how I came to the thought, because I was like, do mm. I do it for myself or not? Yeah. And I, I don't think I do, because I was like, if I was on a desert island, I wouldn't be scrambling around <laughs> to find something to get rid of my hair with. I think rock. I'd just be like, fuck it, I'm hairy. And I don't think I'd give a shit. So I think if you're on, if you genuinely, I have to say, as your armpit hair is growing out, it can be a bit like... Grow, like when it first starts growing because it gets itchy and I think because we never let it grow longer than that yeah we're like oh it's uncomfortable but actually if it was like fi like my boyfriend's armpit head's really soft I yeah. stroked it it's lovely like mine I brush it oh, I, I moisturise it I've actually I sweat much much less really much it grabs like the, significantly less the point less. of it isn't it <laughs> people it's there for a reason honestly <laughs> so true. it's absolutely we have there. evolved quite a lot haven't we <laughs> 
But I think it's a it's a mindset thing. Honestly, yeah. it's a mindset thing. And I know that when the summertime comes, because the conditioning has been so deep, uh, you know, I, I've been shaving since I was maybe 11 or 12 yeah. um, and then stopped when I was 25. So I know that when the summertime comes and let's say I'm on a train and I, I have to hold the rail, in me, I'm going to be like, oh my God, are people... But then I just have to sit, really sit in myself and be like, Africa, this is the hair on your body. Yes. Anyone that has a problem, that's nothing to do with me. It's funny you say that because I was on the tube the other day and there was a woman of colour with like the most amazing outfit and she was, she was really big actually. She was like yeah. a fat woman of colour, so already pretty intersectional and cool. And then she yeah. had like, not that that makes you cool, but she was intersectional yeah. and different things. And she had really fucking hairy legs. Yeah. And I just, I was, I had to stop I myself. I just that. wanted to be like... I love that your legs are hairy. And then I was like, I can't just go up to a woman on the tube and be like, I love that you're... But she just, something about her was so yeah. strong. Yeah. I was like, you are making a statement. Just everything about it was Absolutely. fucking cool. And I generally, for three stops, was like, no, you can't. You can't. No, you really can't. You can't do that. And I was, so I was trying to do it with my eyes, like smile. And then she just probably thought I was a freak. But it does, like, I find it really exciting now because I think women, we are getting our time. And it's, it's squashing all these... It's it with like smashing all these patriarchal ideas. Yeah. It's so funny because it does make guys really unsettled. Really uncomfortable. And I can't wait for the summer to just make more men uncomfortable. Because <laughs> one, one last thing on that is that last summer when um, I was kind of trialing the whole not shaving my legs thing, I remember I'd be on the train and it happened plenty of times actually. And I'd kind of be sitting opposite a guy and he'll start scanning my face and kind of giving me the look and then going down to my legs and then just having this look of shock <laughs> because I've just disrupted his entire <laughs> idea of femininity. But um, yeah, that's something I look forward to. Yeah, I summer. think that's so great. I think it's just, it is just so, when you break it down, it is so, so ridiculous. Honestly. Yeah. On my tombstone, they're not going to be saying, oh, Africa, the girl with hairy legs. It's yes. like, like, think about what you want people to remember you for. They're not going to remember me for the hair under my arms. No. It's, there's bigger things to worry about. Like, there's really yeah. bigger things. And this is, I did a post as well, because I got um, eyelash extensions. Yeah. And I did a post about how I'm a feminist, but I understand my conditioning, but I fucking love yeah. sticking I love that. little bits of hair to my eyelashes whilst removing <laughs> everything below my eyes. <laughs> Because that is what the patriarchy tells you to do. And then I had lots of comments from women being like, being a feminist, doing whatever you can do, it's not guilty. I'm like, no, no, no. What I mean is, I completely, I think it's good if you know. I think you have to come yeah. from a place of knowledge. So there we go. You might be like, I want to get a really big bum, I want to get a really big small waist, but I'm mm -hmm. fine. But why do you want to do that? Do you want there to do it because it's better for you? Or do you want to do it because you're being told that that's what's attractive? If you still want to do it with the knowledge, because I think knowledge is power. The minute yeah. you know, I then take that decision. I'm like... Not everything you do has to be a feminist act. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be exactly. in line with doing something which is smashing the patriarchy or going against convention, but do it with being informed yeah. when you do it. Because then you know that you've made that choice for you because not everyone is going to make the decision which is anti the system. You might just happen to like exactly. something that can be oppressive in some ways, yeah. but you like it. Like everyone's got different tastes. It's true. There will be crossover in places where something we like is actually really anti-feminist in some ways I you know? agree I agree because I, I really don't believe in the idea of like the perfect feminist no. you don't you know get a certificate every time you go up a level it just that's not how it works so I think it's just about questioning asking yourself what do I want what's good for me right now because we do live in a world where it's impossible to be perfect it's there's so much that we have to unlearn that's why um I think I was saying to you before 
I don't think there ever comes a point where you're like, okay, now I know enough. This is it. You know, it, it just never stops no. because every single day is an opportunity to yes. learn something new about yourself. But I completely agree with you about um, finding out where things come from. Yes. I think it's so important to just say, hmm, Why I wonder, I yeah. but it's uncomfortable. So no one wants to, no. no one wants to really go there, you know, but I think there's so many more gifts in just getting a bit uncomfortable, oh. just kind of feeling the really gross stuff about yourself. It can free you on so many levels. For sure. Yeah. And like every time I'm, learn something about feminism so mine started off very white feminist yeah it was all about it started off actually being about sexual liberation and female liberation and why yeah. can't I shelf my body and men can that's very mm-hmm. basic every time I turn a stone over I find a another black hole <laughs> and you're like oh my god and you're like then you're like oh my god we need to talk about women of color too yeah. okay and you're like there is mountains yeah. of work and every single time you get through another day you just get deeper and deeper yeah. but it's amazing yeah because it gives your life so much purpose because yeah. I have so many other things. It actually makes your problems pale in comparison as well. It yeah. really gives you like perspective about stuff. Like it yeah. makes it makes you so much more of an interesting person if you can try and empathize with as many different people from different scenarios yeah. or whatever. But I agree, you never ever stop learning. Yeah. Not a day goes by when I'm confronted with something I've said that was wrong or yeah. funnily enough this is how we met so yeah. someone I did a podcast with Fair Ridings and she said repeatedly as this slogan it kind of became was finding my tribe so I called the episode that and someone tagged me to say that um this girl that I follow called Africa has done a post about tribes and I was like oh fab I'll read it let me have a look because she was like you shouldn't use this word it's like an appropriation of a, of a word mm. so I read it and I was like oh my god you're completely right but I called the podcast up so I didn't really say anything yeah. and then it went into this I'm really good I think one of my strong points is that I will always take someone telling me I'm wrong and I don't I'm not offended I don't yeah. find that offensive I find it really helpful yeah because I'd rather you tell me and then I can learn from it because I find it more embarrassing if no one told me yeah I'd actually find that really embarrassing yeah so I'd rather you be like actually don't say that and yeah. this is what you should do and then I can be like great thanks so much you've taught yeah. me something amazing but unfortunately other people didn't have this reaction and because you replied some women were white women were getting <laughs> offended because Equality to the privilege feels like oppression and they wanted to be able to use tribe as well, even if it's a word. It's just really important to look at where words come from, Mm. especially in the context of cultural appropriation. Because cultural appropriation isn't just about wearing braids and um, dressing a certain way or using um, what some people might say is black language or slang. It goes much, much deeper. And the reason I was talking about um, tribes specifically, because my work is mainly in the self-development, spirituality kind of space, and there's a lot of white middle-class women. That's just that's just how it is, because yeah. as well, spirituality right now is a very marketable thing. You know, it's a very brandable thing. Um, but what that means is that it's becoming a very exclusive space. You know, when you type in yoga into, mm. you, into Google Images, it's all white bodies, white, thin, blonde bodies. You have to go deep, deep, deep into those pages to actually see a brown face, even though yoga originated. Yeah. There we go. A lot of people are in their classes, in their very, very expensive classes. Bali. There we go. <laughs> Saying, you know, um, speaking sacred language that they don't even know where it comes from. And now there's this whole thing with kind of tribe. You see it on T-shirts. 
mummy tribes, etc. But in this conversation, people are ignoring indigenous voices. People are not listening when indigenous people are saying, please, can you not use that word? Because that was the word that was used to oppress them. But now it's been reclaimed by the white spirituality space. And it's spilled over. It's not just spirituality. It's um, your vibe attacks your tribe. There we go. You have all of that kind of thing. Uh, people say things like spirit animal. Yes. No one really knows where that comes from, but that is also is that a very sacred thing. That is Native, Native American. Exactly. So there are all these things, and I just think it's very important. You can use other words to refer to your community. Mm. Community is a good start. You can use that one. You know, you, there are so many, so many options, but I think people just refuse because there is this idea there's this entitlement to everything mm. because when you've been raised in a society that tells you everything is yours yes. nothing is off limits when it comes to a word you feel some friction mm. you know especially if you love that word you've built a brand on that word so many people now have built a brand on um the whole tribe thing but i don't it's not my job to kind of teach everyone what's wrong no. or right and I won't go into full detail to explain anything. If I've written about it, I can refer you back to it. But a lot of people are just not willing to let go. But what I think is important is that it's already been planted yeah. into your consciousness or unconscious, whatever. But it's there. Yes. You know, it's there. And I think sometimes that is more important. And a lot of that resistance comes from the anger that needs to be shed before understanding. I think you know? that, that little seed actually does work because mm. for me, it's happened with vegan I'm not vegan yeah but I find it very hard to buy yogurt it sounds so stupid but yeah over the time of just reading more and more and being quite resistant to it it's mm -hmm. just starting to my my brain's like no I can't yeah. I feel bad now yeah. and uh, with race for me I think um but some people have a very like a very interested in like veganism and they get very interested I tend to be more interested in the human side it's not because I'm not don't find animals mm -hmm. and ethics and the environment mm -hmm. important but I just find human interaction anthropology and all those things much yeah. more so when I read Renée Adeologe's blog I think in like 2014 I remember sitting there and being like oh my god I was so annoyed I was like yeah. I am not racist I'm not racist I read it again I was like I'm not racist I was so pissed off about it I remember like walking around my room and I was like no this isn't mm -hmm. and then I was like oh and then, and then that's where it all started. But I was yeah. so angry at first. And even now I come at loggerheads with my girlfriend who I try and say stuff and they just clamp up and they go, no, I've seen reverse racism. Yeah. I've seen this and this and this. And I'm going, but I'm, I'm saying, well, I'm white too. So if I'm saying it and yeah. I'm not offended, you have to recognize like We need to take it away from the personal and make it, recognize yeah. it as like a, it's not a personal attack. No. And a tribe isn't your personal word to take. Like not everything is... I think basically we've lost a sense of community, funnily enough, which is maybe yeah. why people love the word tribe so much. With yeah, because it sounds, there's this kind of closeness. But, you know, how about taking the effort to, there are so many words, oh. this, but this is the thing, yeah. there are so many words. Especially I think, in the English language. Exactly. I think it can be a bit of a different conversation when it comes to the N-word and how some people justify saying that mm. in songs, etc. But with the word tribe the way people are trying to use it when you're referring to your mummy book club or you're referring to you know your yoga class or your um sound uh your sound healing session you can find something else like i said community is a very good start mm. you can look at other synonyms for community but i think it's that feeling of you're taking something from us which is what these people have felt from the very exactly. first day they graced this planet you know um yeah, so I think with those with those conversations, they really do exhaust me. But mm. 
for me, once it's out there and that writing that I did has really gone gone far, a lot of people have seen it and that's that's all that has to happen. Oh, it's amazing. And but, that's the only important thing with people like you who write incredible things mm. is that people, as you say, then want you to do their emotional labour. I'll get it sometimes. Mm. And they'll go, where have you found this information? Can you send me a link? Can you send me <laughs> men going, can you explain to me why? And I'm thinking, no. Obviously not. Google <laughs> is at your disposal. Go to a library. Like, how is it so difficult? I don't know where people get this dependency from. They yeah. have a real lack of, like, ability to just go out on their own and just yeah. find out information. I was getting men when I did this Not All Men post going, first of all, explain to me why they were um, not the men, in, which is, makes them the men, in my <laughs> caption. Yeah. And then going, and now can you tell me why, like, can you basically validate me? And I'm thinking, no, babe. <laughs> I've got thousands of men in my DMs. You are not some special flower that I'm suddenly going to be like, you, David, you're a good egg. Do you know what I mean? It's so funny. And I think the minute you put out something that's remotely kind of like emotive, you put quite a lot, and the caption doesn't look long, but if you put emotional labour into it, which I do sometimes, I definitely know you do, when you've researched it, you've been so careful about how you worded it, you've caveated it to the nth degree so that you don't offend anyone. And you're like, oh my God, well done. I fit that into how many of characters? And you're like, put it out into the world and immediately you just get, but why? And you're like, oh my God, I've done my work here. Refer to paragraph two. Yeah. I mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> so you brought up quickly the Cherry Revolution. We'll touch on it because we've been talking forever, I feel. Um, can you, do you want to explain what that is? Yes. So um, when I got sober at 24, um, my relationship came to an end. My relationship of three years. And... Another big reason why that came to an end is because I realised that I was never actually attracted to him and that most of the sex that we had had in that relationship, I had been drinking or needed some kind of drink. I wasn't kind of blind drunk the entire time, but maybe we'd have a glass of wine and then it would lead to sex. Um, so when I stopped drinking, we just I, I just couldn't be intimate anymore because that sexual shame also started flooding in. Um, and then I started reading, exploring Tantra. I started reading into sexual shame and that relationship ended. Uh, for many other reasons, it just ended up ending. But I then had what I call a sexual awakening, which made me realize that I had to reconnect with my sex energy and not the sex energy kind of like penetration. Just me as a feminine divine being, mm. I had to reconnect with that. And then I found Tantra, Tantric sex, which... Um, for anyone that doesn't know, tantric sex is kind of going against conventional sex. It's sex that doesn't aim for an orgasm. It's about the process of it. It's about the slowness. It's about actually waking up the feminine energy and really immersing yourself in the experience, not the goal, which is what conventional yeah. sex is. And so because I love to read, I bought so many books, listened to so many talks, just started going on a journey by myself to kind of reconnect with that part of me that I thought was lost and I thought could only be ignited by drinking or taking drugs. Um, and then I would take all these little nuggets of knowledge to my girlfriends and we would just have massive conversations about it. That. And um, one day, it was on November the 19th, 2017, we were having lunch in King's Cross and then I was like, you know what, instead of just having these conversations here, why don't we do something that kind of takes it out so the conversation doesn't just stay in a restaurant so we can take it further. And then the Chair Revolution was born. And I thought initially that it was going to be just T-shirts. 
because we decided slogan t-shirts would be the best way to start. And uh, I came up with a statement, which is now the house mantra, death to faking it. It was about faking orgasms, yeah. not doing that anymore, because that was a big thing that I used to do as well. Oh, for sure. Big thing. Yeah. Big thing. I, I think had all never, my girlfriends did. Yeah. I had, I had never actually experienced an orgasm with a partner um, until early 2018. I still have friends who can't yeah. with guys. Yeah. Do you know what I was going to say? Because it's really interesting. You also taught that sex... I mean, I haven't heard anything tantric. Maybe yeah. we'll go home now and buy some books. Please do. Um, <laughs> but it's all about like the physical. Whereas I've learned recently, yeah. it's all in your head. It's not about what I thought sex was, which is like the pornified, waxed yeah. and shiny and muscly and whatever yeah. else. Performance. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not that. It's so psychological and it's so like... It should be really immersive and really yeah. emotional. And I think the funny thing about sex is we shame it so much, but we've, we're shaming a version of sex that isn't really built anyway. This whole slut shaming and this weird pornified thing isn't what sex should be. We should be celebrating the beauty of like real human connection. Yeah. So it's funny because they're almost two opposing ideas anyway. 100%. But you're not 100%. taught about the no. other parts of it. No, because that's teaching pleasure and, you know... So, yeah, tell me that. about the... So, what you're doing now? So, from so T-shirts. Now, so that's kind of how it started. So, Death to Faking It was about not faking orgasms, just really connecting to your sexual power. And I remember thinking that it was just going to be T-shirts. I knew in the back of my mind that it was much, much bigger than that, but I just didn't know what it was. Um, so from just sharing my story and just talking about my sexual journey, it was amazing to see how many people felt exactly the same way, mm. you know, because no one talks about sex to that degree, um, especially as a black woman. You know, I think that's another layer that's yeah. added to it because of the kind of shaming in our community, even though we're the most sexualized, we're also the most repressed, oh, yeah. sexually repressed. Um, so the mission now, a year later, it's really evolved. It's about making space for people to feel shameless about their pleasure, to really explore their body without judgment. And as something that started as just for women, you know, it's evolved to, it's evolved to a level that I can't even explain. It's for everyone. And my goal is to just let people be in touch with their bodies, to not feel ashamed when you talk about sex, to not feel like... Penetration is the be-all, end-all mm. of sex. There are so many ways to experience sexual pleasure. And, yeah, that's just my goal, to elevate that. I think it's such a important thing to be talking about because we talk mm. about health and we talk about mental health and everyone's so happy to talk about how they go to the yeah. gym and they train their bodies. And now we're talking about how we train our minds. But you have another part of you. I think, that, yes. I think there's so many parts, like your physical, your mental, your sexual being yeah. is another part of you. And then you've got like a spiritual 100%. soul or whatever you think that is, like your yeah. personality. It's same thing, but just different names. Yeah. But your sexual being is something that we don't train and we don't awaken and we, don't, we just expect it to be yeah. separate ready go at 16 like that doesn't make sense <laughs> nothing doesn't. else it doesn't we don't have any but and that is a cultural thing um and it's definitely like those certain friends of mine i remember being so jealous they'd always just spoken about sex yeah and you could see they have such a healthy relationship with 100%. it 100 and it's so important like when i have children <laughs> i stress about this now because i think oh my god i'm gonna talk to my kids about sex and yeah. have kids and then they're just gonna think of me if they have sex because i've spoken <laughs> about it to them so many times i'll just see like my head pop up it's the most honestly it's the most normal thing Mm. there's it's not an accident that there's eight billion of us sitting on this planet yeah, you know so true. we're not allowed to talk about how that came about it's and so i think true. it's really harmful when it comes to things like sex and money there is so much shame oh, and money, hush hush yeah. but they are if not the most important things to navigate this world to some degree so yeah for me it's about changing that because it also 
you know, I'm... Ultimately, the goal is to end sexual violence. And I think sexual mm. violence takes form in so many ways. Sexual violence more commonly happens in long-term relationships. Because when you're with someone for a long time, you feel like you owe yeah. them your body. You feel like, you know, rolling over and your, your boyfriend saying, oh, but we haven't had sex for such a long time. So you roll over and you, you say Take something it. to the degree of just get it over and done with. Or you don't want to have the sex, but you feel the pressure. Coercion is a very, very big thing. You know, and that is sexual violence. Mm. And because um, people have this idea that complete rape is the only form of sexual violence. But there's so many. It's in the language. Yeah. It's in what we say. It's in what we expect people to do with their bodies. But having the awareness from a very young age about how your body works, mm. about how to say no. You know, if um, if some if that uncle is, is always like, come on, sit on my lap. Your little girl or boy should know that you don't have to sit on yes. anyone's lap. And that is... That That's comes under yes. sex positivity. Yeah. You know, that kids don't have to eat beyond full because you're teaching them about owning their own bodies, mm. not being forced Having to eat autonomy. and to... There we go. And, you know, so when people hear... Um, when I kind of talk about having a sex-positive company and talking about sexual empowerment, sexual wellness, people think it's all about penetration, but it's not. That's a part of it, mm. but it's much bigger... People see Much the erotic bigger. side of sex all exactly. the time rather than the, the titillating yeah. secret, which is all for the male gaze as well, yeah. which is why it's it's so redundant even yeah. shaming women for that because it's not how it works. And also what you were saying, I mean, rape in marriage only became illegal very yeah. recently. And I think that's completely a thing. I think that we, if we were more, well, there's that whole thing as well, even for the environment. If we educate women about sex mm -hmm. and we educate them and teach them it will be so much better because they'll know about contraception. They won't yeah. be having as much sex. It's like the best thing you can do for the yeah. planet is to educate young women and girls yeah. around the world about all of these issues. Yeah, and to be teaching and to be talking to boys as well in terms yeah. of kind of... Because I think boys are the ones that kind of reach for porn the quickest because they're told that to be a man, you have to, yes. you, have to you know, do all of these things. So there's just a lack of awareness mm. and no one's talking about it. And it's it's making room for even more sexual violence, oh ultimately. So I could yeah. do a whole podcast on porn because I just have so many conflicting, I think you should. <laughs> conflicting ideas about I you what should. I think about it. And yeah. But I absolutely love talking to you. I think I could Thank literally you. have been here all night. I think we could. Um, but I've absolutely <laughs> loved it. I feel like I've learned so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and thank you for sharing your time with me. Thank you for having me. If people want to find you, follow you, mm -hmm. learn from you, where do they find you? So I have three spaces that you can find me. If you want to know about sex positivity and kind of sexual exploration, you can find me on Instagram at Cherry Revolution. And if you want to find me on my personal page where I talk more about holistic self-development and sober living, it's just my name, Africa Brook. And lastly, on Instagram as well, if you just want to know about workshops happening, and I also do one-on-one -on -one, um, accountability for self-development, it's Discovery Dive, which is the name of my holistic self-development company. But um, on Africa Brook, you'll be able to find me anywhere, and I'm more than happy to just kind of speak to anyone about it, because I know how lonely it can feel when you either want to get sober or you're holding sexual shame. We live in a world that tells you you have to be fine all the time, and I don't believe that. And um, so I'm always willing to just kind of answer anything. Amazing. And I do has. recommend following you because it's really changed my view on so much stuff since <laughs> I have. Thank you. So thanks so much for listening, guys. And I will see you next week. Bye. Bye.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.